Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. So, composting this month then, Chris. You got a compost heap? Yeah, I've got I've got a couple of these sort of sectional plastic composters. Um, one's probably about three years old, and the other one's actually I, I bought last year. So all in, in use. One's getting quite full at the moment, so it's ready to probably empty out in the next month or so. Okay. And uh, to start off in the spring again. But uh, yeah, you, a, a good garden should have a compost heap. That's that's for sure. Well, that, I certainly agree with that mantra, Chris. All mm-hmm. my, no, as you know, I've, I've got my allotment. Of course. I'm very fortunate to have the allotment at the end of the garden. So mm-hmm. compost heap is quite wide. It goes all okay. the way across the bottom of the garden. Okay. And, or rather the, the head and top of the allotment. And it's where... I think it started off with some trees, and I put in a, I've been over the last twelve years. I've been adding all my lawn cuttings to it, mm-hmm. and yeah, just leaves and any organic rubbish just chucked over the fence and onto the compost heap on the other side of the fence. So, <laughs> so it's a big old area, then, Peter. It's yeah. massive. I mean, it, yeah, it, it must be about five six meters long and probably about a meter and a half wide, and maybe a meter or so tall. But uh, mm. my intention, as mm. all my intentions are always good, I'm, I'm going to sort it out. My plan is to basically sort of put one half on top of the other half mm-hmm. and then actually create some palletized company you know so sort of when you get three pallets and of course yes. stick it, tie them all together and yep. make some compost bins that way because mm-hmm. uh, obviously here at the garden center we had a bit of a reshuffle for the compost area Obviously, here we get a few dead plants. We get a lot of leaves and a lot of organic matter that we mm. get to compost down. And historically, it's a, a bit like my compost heap at home had grown into a, a enormous crate. It was a compost mountain, really, wasn't it? It, it was brilliant. <laughs> it had rabbits in it. I think it had a badger set in at one corner. And um, yeah, it's, it was very organic and very natural. But yep. yeah, it needed a bit of a, t- a tidy up. So mm. we took the sort of slightly more organized approach to mm. we've built a, a three what do you call it a three bay base uh, yeah. three bay system where uh, all out of pallets and it's probably got i'm going to say nine pallets per bay mm-hmm. so wide enough for the jcb with its bucket to get in there and turn the stuff over but those pallets have then been lined with some landscape fabric that we had left right. over um, just stapled that on the insides of the pallets to basically just hold all the stuff inside. And to be fair, it's mm. been going, what, two, three years? No, yeah, probably three years. Yeah. now? Yeah, because yeah. they put another one on, didn't they? They did, they added um, another one. And of course, that uh, that wonderful landscape fabric, of course, is, is uh, permeable, so it lets the air in as well, I suppose. Yes, yeah, it lets is good. the air in, and uh, I mean... It seems to be working mm. very well, mm. and certainly I'm always amazed that obviously the dead plants have a good load of sort of compost and mm. roots in anyway. But it, when you see it, you know, sort of after a year or so in there, yeah. it all comes out like proper compost. And even the the woody stuff that obviously takes a bit longer. There's a few bits that get pulled out at the end of the year mm-hmm. when they're sifting through it, but the majority of it is. Really, really good quality compost, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's also twiggy bits, isn't it? I suppose, and some of the prunings, the hard prunings. But as we uh, as we find out with our guest, uh, Rod, it's all about that mixture of, of items going into a compost heap as yeah, well. Green waste and brown waste. Brown waste, waste isn't that's it. That's, that's, the, that's, that's, the, that's the key. But certainly with mine at home, I tend to, I do tend to get the secateurs out and try and cut my sort of more more thicker stems a little bit. I don't mind spending a bit of time. It's quite therapeutic actually. A good pair of secateurs to cut those um, shoots down 
down to manageable pieces. And then, of course, making sure I get a good mixture of, of items going in there. And I'm, as you know, I'm a massive fan of comfrey, so yep. some of the comfrey tea goes onto them as well. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping to extend mine to uh, create a slightly bigger uh, compost empire in, in the space I've got. But, of course, it's it's all about space, isn't it? And it's, this, this, it's getting this balance of, you know, producing compost and obviously what you do in the rest of your garden. I, I think it is, and like mm. you say, the the product that you create at the end of it is just brilliant for mm. digging in onto your you know, vegetable patch. Or, I mean, here at the garden centre, we put it into the mail order field, and it does make a noticeable most, most difference. difference. I mean, here yeah. at the garden centre, we've got a fair bit of clay and mm-hmm. um, good old Buckingham clay. It, it it breaks it down slowly, but yeah, I mean, we've been here. I would say, what, 52 years, years, I think, mm-hmm. now? And certainly in the last, I would say, 15 years or so, we've been actively mm. trying to improve the soil. And it's yeah. it's definitely working. And certainly in the selling area, I know, I mean, when I used to work out there, mm-hmm. it was a quagmire in oh, certain gosh, parts. Oh, gosh, it's awful, yes. And now we've got a soil that still obviously gets wet, like mm. all soil does, mm. but it definitely dries out. And doesn't stick to your boots quite as much as Indeed. it used to. And I think I think the plants obviously benefit from the fact that there's there's more um, humus in the, the soil as well. It's got a better structure, and I think that's quite important, especially with clay soils. But mm. um, certainly at home, I tend to use mine around around my shrubs. I use it around my uh, my, my box hedging. I use it because obviously the box hedging is is cut quite tight, and the you know it's a very narrow border. So anything I can put a, a decent amount of mulch material, which will hopefully feed the plants as well, is is of a benefit. Yeah, thinking about that, Chris, obviously in the last episode we are talking about my rhubarb, which mm. um, is growing quite well out of ground. Of um, course. I, I just thinking maybe I should actually, this should spur me on mm. to digging up some of my um, 10, 12-year-old compost heap. I think and it's a good opportunity use to. Use that, save buying any more of, uh, uh, farmyard manure from mm. the garden centre, won't it? That, that's brilliant. Indeed. Excellent. So in this episode, yeah, like you say, we've got Rod to come and talk to us about composting. Now, he's a bit of an expert, isn't he? He is, yes. He he, he has his own uh, sort of website, Carry On Composting, and he is a bit of a guru, actually. He's been very, we've been very fortunate, actually, Peter, because he's been over here for a couple of times to speak to our, our customers and on our, our uh, gardening talks. Yep. So he's well known to, to the garden, uh, the Buckingham Garden Centre uh, audience as well. But uh, I think as we find out, you know, it, you know, producing compost is an important element of gardening, and you know we all should take up this, the the mantra. And of course, we need to recycle things. And of course, composting is the the best way. It's yeah. certainly yeah, it's certainly the greenest things we things we can do. And uh, we're delighted to be chatting with Rod West, an, an enthusiastic composter and master composter, and hopefully, he'll be able to guide us through this amazingly fascinating subject. Welcome, Rod, to to dig it. And, and where do we find you today? I'm sitting at home in Leicestershire in the conservatory looking out at a slightly windy garden. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, it's, um, yeah well, up in North Buckinghamshire, it's, uh, it's a bit overcast, not as bright and sun as it was the other day, but uh, that's good to hear. So I suppose, Rod, the first question we need to ask you, Rod, is how did you get into compost and composting? Well, I originally sort of composted at home because my father did. And he, mm-hmm. he was a very keen gardener. And so I've grown up with compost bins, although you get to a stage where you have other interests and that grew away. When I got my own house, I had um, a plastic molded bin for a while mm-hmm. and then got hooked into much bigger bins and more bins. And once I 
got two at home at the moment. Um, and I used to have two and then five on the allotment. But now I've got a demonstration site on the allotment and it's all um, compost bins there. And I don't grow anything on the allotment. Okay. So there's the compost. Yeah, Which this- is a novel approach. Indeed, yeah. So, so the, the the sort of first question within that, I suppose, is we established that you you've obviously got a very keen and, and a passion for for composting. But I suppose for for our uh, digit listeners, perhaps we, we need to explain really what is compost. Yes, there is there is a lot of confusion. Mm. Um, strictly speaking, if you're a pedant, and a lot of composters are. It is the result of an aero- of aerobic decomposition of organic waste. Mm-hmm. So if it's not aerobic, strictly speaking, it's not composting, which is um, a problem with anaerobic digestion. And probably later on, we'll talk about the cashy bins, mm-hmm. and that's an indoor system, which is anaerobic. So the purists say that's not compost. Oh, okay. Even though the pots will be, the pots will be labelled composter, so um, that's how I actually got into it, and uh, then it grew up as more concern came into play about the environment, about actually using the compost as a soil enhancer and improver. So I, I got a little bit hooked on that as well, and subsequently as a means of reducing waste collected by the council. And sent to landfill. Excellent. So, how did carry on composting develop then, Rod? Well, I got, I became a volunteer composter with the county council and um, a garden organic master composter. Please don't blame me for the name. Um, uh, excuse me, Mark, you know, do you get a diploma for that or a nice sign and a, a piece of paper being a master composter? <laughs> I think I think we may have got a piece of paper. We certainly had a letter. I don't think Ooh. we got a certificate. <laughs> we might have done. It was a long a long time ago. Brilliant. But as a Leicester Master Composter, in theory, I, I was insured to operate in within Leicester, right. Leicestershire, but not outside. So I was doing a lot of um, speaking to gardening clubs and things, and it was, it reached a stage where most of my work, or most of the talking, was outside of Leicester, and also going to schools outside Leicester. So I was looking, I was looking for a name for something to cover what I did. And during a composting training session at Garden Organic, the trainer said, "I will offer a prize." For the first composter who comes up with a website with a silly name, hmm. <laughs> and that appealed, that appealed to me, so I went home, paid to set up a website, called it Carry On Composting. Obviously, thinking of Barbara Windsor and the Carry On films, yeah. I phoned her up the next Monday, and to be greeted with, "Why are you telling me?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, you you said." We'd get a prize, and um, she said that was a joke, <laughs> and a few other words. So I was number number with the name. Absolutely. Great, <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> so that's gone organic over at Wrighton, is it? Yes, 
yeah. makes sense. Yeah, because we had a podcast with them not that long ago talking about heritage seeds and mm. sort of fascinating yes. sort of place to, to know about, isn't it? Great. So what perhaps is the best way to produce your own garden compost, starting with the, the most important thing, the, the actual holding structure, the compost bin? I suppose, do you go down the shop-bought ones or do you go homemade? And perhaps what have your experiences been using the various ones, especially at your, your demonstration area? And perhaps you could give yeah. some of your opinions on perhaps what options are best for the smaller garden uh, where... And perhaps an option where space isn't a problem. So quite a few questions there. I'm sorry, I've thrown them all in together. That's fine, because the answer's going to be muddled anyway. <laughs> um, virtually any container can be used. We can be ever so flexible. Um, and you can even compost indoors. Right. Okay. And I've got co- contacts in India who use terracotta pots. Oh, wow. And either indoors or in a courtyard, they will have a well, one's got about 20 really nice-looking terracotta pots, which they use to compost in. That's fine. But I started, and I think most people now start, with a cheap and cheerful plastic moulded bin from the council. And at one stage, councils were giving them away. Now they're subsidised. They are not quite, because they are cheap and cheerful, they may not be quite as good as the ones that you actually can buy, the cheap ones from the garden centre, um, right. but they're adequate to start with. Yes. And they take kitchen waste and garden waste, and that's uncooked kitchen waste. So it covers most needs, and you use cardboard and paper and things in them as well. Are these the sort of the Dalek-type compost bins we're talking about? Yes. Yeah, Okay. Yeah, with a sort of yeah, sliding yeah. sort of front lid, yeah. Yes. The ones we get from the council at the moment have sliding lids. In a lot of the council ones now, or council subsidised ones, have clip-in twisted lids and a clip-in hatch. Right. Which is not very convenient to use and will distort. If you buy them often from some of the garden centres or from the net, you can get them with sliding hatches, which is much better. Right, okay. And they tend, to, they tend to be a little dearer. But you can also, and at one stage councils were providing, bins that didn't have a hatch. They were cone-shaped, and to empty them, you just lifted the compost bin off. And a lot of people with the existing ones with hatches will either lift them off or knock them over, which will leave a pile of compost shaped like a Christmas pudding. Okay, yes. And the the stuff at the bottom will be done. The stuff at the top won't because you keep putting it in and you're going to take the stuff off the top and put it back in the bin and the rest you can harvest. I get you, I get you, yeah. So those are probably not the preferred ones. There's somewhere where you can actually access the top and through the, the side or through the, through the base is probably going to be a better option, yeah. I would have thought. And then the next stage up are sectional plastic bins, mm-hmm. which rather than being moulded in one piece, you buy in a number of pieces clipped together. And the better ones are them, they have they have better lids. They tend to be bigger, mm-hmm. and they will open, the hole of one side at the bottom will open, so it's much easier to get to and harvest. Then there's a load of wooden ones, um, commercially available wooden ones. 
if you move on to places like allotments, you find a lot of the cheap council ones plus pallet bins where people have got three or four pallets wired or screwed them together and they work brilliantly. Mm. And as far as allotment gardeners are concerned, of course, they don't look very nice. But on allotment, that doesn't matter. And they have the attraction of being free. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, relating to that, uh, at the garden centre, we have pallet type um, mm. composters, big, big bins. So you do need the space. Yeah, I think our ones have got yes. probably about eight or ten pallets yes. <laughs> as yes. their walls. And um, but to be fair, the yes. JCB goes in there and turns it turns them over um, every few months. And yeah, I think I think the staff here were really impressed with how what a difference because prior to this, we were just literally dumping everything in a pile mm. and it just got left and over about 10 15 years ended up being <laughs> just an enormous great pile of very very rich compost um because it'd been there so long but they were quite surprised that you can actually make compost so quickly in a relatively small area and all you need to do is like you say sort of just pile it up and then Turn yeah, it over, over. Which, yeah, which is I, good. What, what's your experience, Rod, of the Tombola-style composters? I mean, are they any good? I, I always look at them and envious of the people on the allotment who've got them because they look quite fancy. But are they any good? Um, the, to- the tumbler ones come in both barrel, vertical barrels and yeah. Tombolas. Yeah. As you mentioned allotments, you will probably find some of the vertical ones sitting empty. Yep. They were the early models, and they spin round really nice when they're empty, but uh-huh. are very difficult to use once you put waste in them. They get quite heavy, I should imagine. Yes. Yep. The Tombola are much better. Um, some of the cheap ones won't take the weight if they're full. Three quarters right. full, but the the good ones are excellent. Okay. And I have just emptied emptied one of my big ones, a big metal one, and it's filled two wheelbarrows, and you just push the wheelbarrow underneath, open the hatch, and it drops in there. Excellent. You and just c- need to turn them regularly. Mm. Okay. And c- can you name drop any manufacturers for us, Rod? I mean, we like to give uh, our listeners a, a chance to get things that are good. So if you've got a good recommendation of a manufacturer, that would be really helpful. I had deliberately avoided mentioning the name. <laughs> Mantis is one that I really like. Okay. okay. Lovely. They, they do a whole range. They do small ones. They even do one that's on wheels so you can take it around the garden with you oh, and cool. I always tell people you can bring it indoors at night if you don't want to be parted from it as well <laughs> the bigger ones are brilliant Excellent. they're not cheap though nothing ever is when it's any good is well, it that, that's the, the yeah you get what you pay for yeah. basically as you mentioned Tombola composters yep. you can also get some really a really nice tombola composter called a Jura, which will take cooked food. It's insulated, right. so you okay. you can take cooked food from a cafe. And I have one on one side that we had nothing but sandwiches, surplus sandwiches. Right. Mm-hmm. And we did that with wood chip, and that produced a really nice compost. Oh, wow. Yeah, it might be... Um, 
over here, they, they now, I think, are trading under the name Duraform. Okay. Or being marketed under Duraform. Maybe we can have a look at that for, for our restaurant then, because yes. um, obviously we create a fair bit of food waste here from our restaurants, and we're always trying to be as sort of ecological as possible and yep. where we can recycle mm. stuff. So I'll have a look at that. That's brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. For a restaurant, you probably need um, one of the bigger models. The other one that's good for food composting, um, places like restaurants, is uh, Ridden, R-I-D-A-N. And that's a continuous one. You put the stuff in at one end, okay. twist the screw, and it drops out the other finished. Mm. Mm. And do we need to think about rats and mice at all when we're sort of composting? Yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, well... Um, composting always gets blamed, blamed when a rat's seen. Yep. Um, and I think with some of the open bins, if they're not turned and the rats aren't disturbed, they will nest in there. Mm-hmm. The main thing is if you've got a plastic bin and are concerned about rats, is to buy one with a base or buy a base for it. That's a good oh, idea. Okay. So they can't, they, no, they can't, they have to climb up the sides then to yeah, jump it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or you, you can put weld mesh across the bottom. Okay. Yep. yep. Which works quite well. Some of the on the dearer ones, of course, you can buy um, if you've got a metal one. It's it's much more rat resistant. But I have to say the Dura one I mentioned um, has proved very rat proof. It even in Canada resisted the attempts of a bear to get into it, mm, and okay. that's not a problem we have over here. No, I like know. A raccoon. Yeah. Did uh, work out how to open the hatch. <laughs> like intelligent squirrels, it, it then. True. Yeah, the squirrel's going to be in ours. Then. <laughs> it, it's a bit too big for squirrels yeah. to do. Uh, Rod, you mentioned also about the, the, was it the three or four bin system in larger gardens, maybe allotments. On that, it's all about temperature, isn't it? Because you've got these quite large volumes of, of material. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that, that sort of process and sort of temperatures you could sort of expect those to, to build to? Yes. Yeah, there are two systems. If you've got a small bin, you cold compost, and that can take about a year, 18 months. If you bring the temperature up, it, the bugs work much more quickly, and you can compost in a few weeks. Okay. Really? Um, oh. We're looking at a temp- temperature of 40 to 60 degrees. Okay. And that will kill bugs. It will kill seeds. It will kill any um, perennial roots are there so that produces a better compost to get to hold the temperature you need to either have a very big heap like if you're turning your heap with a tractor you probably don't need to turn it ever so frequently if you're turning if you've only got one, uh, the minimum size I suggest is a meter cubed if you've got one that size for the first three weeks four weeks it's handy to turn it every other day and if you've got three bins you can turn it from one bin along the chain to the next yeah yeah. and that work that works really well and you mentioned turning by tractor earlier on of course if you are turning the bins you need to have space to get to the front of them Mm. in order to do it so even if you're turning them by hand you need a bit of space in the front and what about, I mean, 40 to 60 degrees, that's quite warm. Do they ever catch fire? There have been tiles of them catching fire, yes. 
Um, you ideally you can monitor the temperature and turn it when it drops down or when it gets up over seventy. Right. If it goes up to about seventy six, it cuts, starts killing off some of the good bugs. So you don't really want that. But as someone I've seen on some of the big heaps, they actually keep them a lot wetter. Yep. Okay. So they can spray it periodically in case it does catch fire. Yeah, because I, I know I remember when I was a little boy having to take the hose pipe up to my parents' compost heap, which was probably about two metres by two metres. I mean, they had a big, big garden. And we it, there was, I don't know whether it was smoke or steam coming out the top of it, but it was certainly quite warm and we had to get the hose pipe on it. And I seem to remember pulling it all apart with a rake to presumably get some um get the the heat out and it, it didn't catch fire but it was uh, certainly a, a fun little challenge yes hot compost will steam it well steam. before it catches fire let's <laughs> hope <laughs> yeah. it was just steam there so so basing that on on temperature rod do you think it's worth investing in a you know decent sort of soil thermometer for for, for checking you your temperature heating yes is the short answer yeah. to that yeah okay i i've got I like a saw thermometer. Some of the systems, you turn the heap every other day. With a thermometer, you don't do it so often. You only turn it when you need to. Yeah, okay. That's good. Thank you. And what about positions? I mean, does it matter where your compost heap is? Obviously, you discussed having a good space in front of it, which is useful for being able to get stuff in and out and turning. But does it matter if it's under the, you know, under the trees or sort of in full sun? For most compost heaps, they suggest keeping it in, in the sun, or at least so it gets some sun. That way it helps it heat up and keeps it warmer. Um, there is one, the Green Joanna, that recommend, which also does cook food, which they recommend keeping in the shade, or shade for most of the day. But normally in the sun, um, ideally, unless it's a well-sealed bin, out away from the walls or hedges because our rats run, I tend to have rat runs around the edge of buildings and rat along walls. Yeah. And that way they bump into the compost bin. Whereas if you move it further out, they've got to venture forth into the garden and feel more vulnerable. So it's a way of helping to control the rats. Good idea. The other thing which I didn't mention, didn't mention when you were talking about rats is that if you've got a plastic bin, if you hit the bin every time you walk past it or kick it, that <laughs> either means a rat. <laughs> you wake up all your little rats and they they're get very happy about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. The rats that give up or else they get crash helmets, one or the other. <laughs> or they're deaf rats and they don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. Excellent. So, uh, Rod, we're talking about sort of um, the heat sort of generated in these compost seats, but how long should it take, you know, to actually create some decent compost? And does it sort of vary from sort of length of times uh, with the type of method you're, you're sort of employing from, from your experience on your, your trials? Yeah. Yes. If, if you're doing it the, the simple way, which is just chucking stuff in as and when it becomes available, we're looking at perhaps a, as cold composting, it would take perhaps a year. Mm -hmm. um, initially perhaps 18 months and then if you're lucky um, you'll be able to get some out of the bin every six months or so if you're going to pallet type bins or that size and if you cut the material into two inch lengths 
this is getting fiddly, mm-hmm. um, and turn it and um, um, put it in the bin in layers and water it, and then turn it every two days for the first three weeks or 18 days. You can get compost within three weeks. Wow. Or you could get a life. <laughs> I think this team, it must have come up as a university project because I, I don't know of many people who actually do. I don't know anyone who does that. Yeah. But if you turn it weekly for the first three weeks, you will speed it up. And we can be looking at 12 weeks, um, a little longer. Because I've got several bins, I tend to fill the bins during the summer and then use them the next year nice. or give the compost to our plot holders for the next year. So at the moment, uh, we're busily harvesting. We've got 20-odd bins harvesting most of the compost there and trying to persuade people to take it away to fill their raised beds and use as a mulch. As I, I was going to say, Rod, maybe also it depends when you actually start your composting, what what month of the year in, in many respects, because yes. of the, the type of material yep. you, you're putting on there. I mean, I've got a, I've got two compost pe- heaps on the go at the moment, and I know one is, is coming to the point where I'm going to have to put it onto the garden, so therefore I'll be starting probably a new heap in the next sort of month, six weeks. So, yeah, the, the material probably has a, a lot to, to say in the, in the process of uh, the compost long, long term. Yes, if you're um, if it's a garden compost system, then it does vary an awful lot as the year. Like at the moment uh, on the allotment, I'm getting brassicas, brassica stalks, which of course need smashing up because they're too thick and hard. Um, I've had a whole load of croissants at the moment and um, raspberry canes, okay. which aren't things that are going to compost quickly and easily but they count as brands. Whereas if you've got a bin in the garden at home, you will probably have a constant supply of nitrogen-rich kitchen waste. And thank you to Amazon, you will have a constant supply of cardboard. (laughs) Yes. So the household bins will tick over and keep going with more or less the same stuff throughout the year. Whereas the garden ones, as you say, will vary a lot. But the best... I, although I keep filling mine during the winter, the best time, of course, is the spring mm-hmm. and the early rowing season to get it going because it warms up. And then the autumn harvesting time is when you really get masses of goodies. Yeah, sure, yes. And does the winter temperature, see, being outdoors, compost bins, does it affect the speed much of the compost or does the internal Sort of temperature carry on with the breaking down of the waste at sort of similar temperature all it, year round. Yeah, it depends on the bin. If you've got a good insulated bin, it will carry on working if you keep feeding it with the right food. If it's an ordinary plastic bin or probably a, a, a pallet bin, as the temperature drops, the temperature in the bin will drop. And whereas we go on holiday during the summer when it's hot, the working bacteria just go and hide for the winter. So the bin will virtually stop working. Yeah. Um, which is why if you've got a wormery compost system, you tend to put it in a shed or insulate it for the winter. Okay. Rod, so we, we talked about the, the processes of creating compost, but what can we actually compost? Is there things we, we should avoid and uh, 
we shouldn't add to our compass. Is, is there a sort of a, a proper listing of, of uh, these sort of uh, items we, we need to be really aware of? There are masses of this. <laughs> I thought there might and, be. <laughs> yeah, a few of them actually agree with each other. <laughs> yeah, basically, any they say anything that's lived can be composted. Mm-hmm. And that might be true, but it may just because it can be, it doesn't mean you want to compost it. Like that way, you'd be composting Japanese knapweed, spreading horrible things. Yeah, Yeah. indeed. Not weed. Um, Right, what we can do, most materials are divided into greens, which are rich in nitrogen and are usually green, and browns, which are high in carbon. Okay. Um, So the greens would be uncooked kitchen waste garden vegetables, annual weeds, but if it's in the small compost bin, not the seeds, Okay. Mm-hmm. grass, nettles and comfrey, everyone likes them, old pot plants, tea bags and coffee, manure, mature manure, and I know that doesn't look green, but it's high in nitrogen, so it counts as a green. Um, in the browns, cardboard boxes, the kitchen rolls and toilet rolls, mm-hmm. computer paper, office paper, that's really good, preferably shredded. And, of course, that's a good security device as well because no one's going to pierce you up, put your name back together um, from a load of compost. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yep. Can you use newspapers as well? Yes, you can. I, because we've got a good recycling system, I tend to recycle the newspapers. Yep. because I have a lot enough browns otherwise. Um, any woody material, if it's thick, then put it through a shredder. Um, coming down a bit, oh, woody material, straw, um, sawdust and wood chip, down the scale, um, crushed eggshells. Some people wash them because they're afraid the rats will smell the egg. And, of course, they're high in calcium as well. Natural fibres, so wool and cotton. So just be careful if you've got an old cardigan, which it's just comfy, you know, the button's dropping off and holes in the elbow, that someone might nick it and compost it. (laughs) That needs cutting up. Yeah. And we need – and a lot of the wool and cotton, of course – particularly wool, may not be pure wool. Some stuff might survive. Um, vegetable stalks count as browns, and they need chopping and crushing so the bugs can get at them, and even feathers. So if you've got chicken, the feathers and the sawdust from the chicken run or chicken hut are brilliant. Mm. Um, and you can and that also do dog hair. Okay. okay. Yes, and, and the contents of your vacuum cleaner? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I do because we've only got carpet in one room where the dogs get. Because uh, if it, if it's um, a natural carpet, fine. But a lot of them now have got a lot of nylon and artificial stuff in. Okay. So not too much carpet, but dog hair and stuff in the carpet cleaner, yes, most of us put it in. That's good. Yeah. And what sort of does it does it matter what proportion of greens to browns that you put in, or is it anything and everything? 
There are lots of wonderful formula. Right. The race you greens and browns, and you can spend many happy hours working it out. <laughs> um, the advice these days is to, I think, let's say, chuck in about equal amounts. Okay. But it, because it is so easy to adjust. If you've got it wrong, if you put too many greens in, it will go wet and smelly. So yep. put some browns in cardboard sawdust or something and balance it out okay if you've got too many browns it'll just sit there doing nothing although you may find some slow worms or um mice that have been in it then just put some greens in so it's so easy to adjust it's not worth the bother of trying to be too scientific and who's got the time yeah that's it so just chuck it all in and see what it turns out like (laughs) yeah so so rod what about a thing sorry Sorry, I was going on, I think you were as well, to the things that, that people say don't compost. Indeed, yeah. Most of the niche for householders say don't compost, cook meat and fish or cook food. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that is because they attract rats. Rats passed in by will smell it and come across and help themselves. But if you've got the right sort of compost bin, they they can't get in and that's fine. So if you've got one that's advertised for cooked food, then you can put cooked food in it. Surprise, surprise. Um, The other thing you can do, if you've brought a cheap bin, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, um, you can pre-treat the cooked food. And that is by putting it in a bakashi bin with a bran impregnated with bacteria and they will create ferment it and create a pre-compost which you can then put in your compost bin without it attracting rats or you can just bury it in the garden yeah because before this episode we were doing a bit of research and neither chris or i had ever heard of the bakashi bin and having now read up on them they're using lactobacillus bacteria and like you say fermenting the food into uh, i'm guessing it just breaks it down into a sort of moldy heap does it and the bran then absorbs the liquids out of the sort of food it it, the appearance doesn't change much you may get a a mold growing on top right sorry if i just back paddle a little bit um you 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 have that indoors usually and put cooked food in it as the cooked food's produced including plate scrapings, and they are brown until the, bit, the little bin is full up. And then you put it aside for a fortnight and start a second bin. Okay. When you put it aside, you may get mould growing on it. And white mould is fine. If it's green or black, then it's not so good. But the white mould is splendid. Okay. okay. It will produce a liquid, and most Pikachu bins have a tap on, so you can drain the liquid off. And the liquid used to be recommended to use as a drain cleaner. (laughs) (laughs) And it's got a nice little smell. I've noticed in recent years, they now start calling it a deodorant for drains rather than a cleaner. (laughs) Okay. If you do it in the utility room, you can put it down the utility room sink or some people to dilute it out and put it on the soil. Okay. 
So can it, it, you wouldn't use it as a fertilizer like you can from some. What is it? Worm, sorry, I'm just thinking wormery. So, so you can't yeah. use it the, like you would from the wormery, the liquids you get out of that. Uh, some people do, but we we get so disloyal of it, it doesn't seem worth the bother. Okay. Oh, okay. Like with wormeries, they produce a lot of wormwe, so it's well worth doing. But with this, you know, you get. 20 mils a week. Okay. So, Very small amounts. Easy. Yeah. And the other thing they do say don't do is dairy products. Right. Mm. And certainly it's not good. You, you can treat um, solid dairy products as cooked food. Liquid dairy products either don't do or absorb onto paper, sawdust, dry leaves or something. One of the disadvantages is putting a lot of liquid in, of course, is that you're cooling down the compost. Of course. Yeah. So, and you can do hard cheeses. Okay. That's fine. And the other, the final one that they say don't do, it's plants that have diseases that can survive without living material. Things such as grey mould, mildews and wilts may survive a cold compost bin. So it might be better not to not to compost them. So would you? I mean, in that instance, uh, Rod. I mean, with when I uh, had problems with uh, potato and uh, tomato blight a few years ago, I, I basically incinerated me those those leaves and stems. Um, could I? Therefore, could that incineration be used on the compost heap in small quantities to act as a an activator, or would that not be recommended? No. I... Blight, blighted potato tops, I, I would either incinerate or put in the bin for the council composting, which gets much hotter. Okay. Okay. That the industrial composting. But you can, you know, incinerating is fine. I wouldn't, although in theory you can put the tops in the compost bin, if it's a cold bin, I haven't quite got the confidence to do it. But other people will. That's fair enough. No, no, that's... that's uh... That's, that's a satisfying answer, actually, because I was, I, was, I was in doubt of what, what to do at that point, and I think I made the right decision, thank goodness. So commercial compost and growing media often have fertiliser and water-retaining granules and all sorts of fancy things added. If we make our own compost and add these sorts of products, can we use them uh, then use our home compost for potting directly into, or would you blend it with some topsoil? I mean, what, what, what's the best use, I guess, of of the compost that we make? The best use is as a, as a mulch and soil improver. Why well, compete with, with the experts who've made the other stuff, the commercial stuff? But you can, there are people who make their own seed and potting compost using okay. um, home compost as a base. All right. um, I've got details of how to do this on, on my website, but I personally other than doing it once or twice just to get some photos, I don't. I use commercial compost. But I say it can be done, but there's, you never have enough mulch, particularly if you use non-dig gardening. Yep. So that's where all the home compost goes. Fair enough. And then let the worms just carry it down into the soil and mix it in. And what about what's the best option for people who live in sort of flats or have very small outside areas but still want to produce their own compost? You talked earlier about your friends in India making composters out of terracotta. Are they pots or 
what's what's sort of what's the way forwards for someone who's only got a small amount of space? Can they do it in a small bucket? Well, over here, yeah, over here, the tendency would be to um, perhaps have a worm. Well, a cashy first for cooked food, and you can turn that into soil by burying and mixing the Akashi that you finish end product, pre-compost, with soil in a dustbin or another bin. And after a month or so, that turns into nice soil, which you can use for your pot plants. You can have a small compost bin on a patio or in a garden or a wormery. Lots of people with um, balconies would, tent, would have a wormery, and there's some really nice-looking modern ones. And I've got, although I don't use it now, um, because there was complaints about having utilities that turned into a composting area. Um, you can buy indoor wormeries. I've got a really nice stainless steel one, which worked worked well, but um, met with objections. Okay. okay, and uh, just out of interest, what sort of worms did you put in your wormery? Because I've, I've been—I've always been interested by worms. And is it bra- Brandling or bra- Brand Brandling? Yeah, or Brandling, isn't it? Brandling. The bra- Branding, and the other one. Often now, if you buy worms from a wormery worm supplier for composting, you get a mix. The other one are dendro worms, which um, don't reproduce so quickly, but are more acid resistant and. Um, so they, as a as a mix, it works really well. The bramning worms, the red worms, breed really quickly, so they they are ideal. Okay, can you can you go and charm your worms? I mean, I, I don't know if you're still allowed to do this, but we used to, when I used to do fish as a boy, we used to go and get some water and ju- water a patch of ground and jump up and down on it. Um, that that was do it at night, and that was meant to bring the worms up. I did occasionally. But <laughs> <laughs> would you suggest? Buying the worms or just going digging around in the garden and getting some that way? Or find a manure heap somewhere and helping yourself. Yeah, yeah. that's a good way. The, the, the worms are composting worms which live in the humus at the top of the soil. Okay. Um, the ones that they tend to use in the worm catching and um, thing is are earthworms which burrow down into the soil. So... I personally tend to buy my, well, when I say I tend to buy them, I did buy my first batches about 10 years ago, and from then on, they breed. Ah, so and once you've got them. Petrate, yeah. Yeah, and an awful lot of fishermen do have wormeries. Ah, okay. But for that reason. Mm. Uh, there is a conflict there, of course. If, if, the, if one member of the family is a fisherman and the other is a gardener, they end up fighting over who has the worst. <laughs> it could be a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Rod, I've got a few um, sort of quick fire questions, which we, we had when we were discussing, chatting to you today uh, from, from the office. So I'll start with, um, are holes in the side of a compost bin essential? No. Okay. It's a quick answer, mm-hmm. um, but they do need, you need to have something so that air can get in. But in most cases, it comes up through the bottom and through loose pack compost. Right, okay. So I suppose those compost bins with, like you were mentioning, having a, a base to them, that perhaps it's essential that they have some extra um, ventilation, shall we say, within the structure. Would that be, would that be true? 
Most of the one, yes, you can have ventilation within the structure. You can have um, some have vents, some have small holes. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones with bases, most of the bases have small ventilation ducts in the bottom anyway. Okay, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and is it is it true that a compost heap is a breeding ground for slugs and snails? As a gardener, I mean, I've got a compost heap. I I I've never found that to be true, but I suppose. Well, please, uh, please. Yeah, it does. It can be, mm. um, and I, I think you're more aware of it if you have a wormery because you can see the slugs around the top of the wormery. But okay. the, sl- the slugs that you tend to get there are good ones. Okay, they eat dead material, not um, living plants. Fair enough. Well, that's that's good. Is the layering of compost ingredients in the bin essential? Going back to you, to a little bit earlier, actually, is is the is, is the layering process yeah. an important part of the the, uh, the whole idea of creating a good, no. good compost bin? For, mo- for most systems, it's not essential. If you've got a black bin, you just put stuff in as it comes. You know, a Dalek bin. Mm-hmm. Um, layering is really if you've got bigger bins is just a way of physically getting the initial green-brain ratio right. Okay. And um, how important is it to turn the contents of uh, the compost bin on, on, a, on a regular basis? Controversial one. Lots of people don't turn it at all. Okay. It, particularly if you've got a Dalek bin, you just chuck stuff in and 18 months later or a year later, you take stuff out. Turning introduces air. It will help if you want to hot compost because um, because it gets the bugs going again. But in most cases, you can use passive aeration with the air just filtering its way through the bin. So, no, it's not essential. That's good. And a question I'm sure a lot of people will ask is, uh, how, you know, about putting grass cuttings in um, into your compost bin. What's what's your thoughts on, on putting uh, that particular material in quantity? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because grass, grass, too many grass cuttings that go black, smelly, and anaerobic, and it puts a lot of people off. Mm-hmm. So you're right to highlight that one. Um, you, it, it's really good, though. It's, it's rich in nitrogen. Mm-hmm. What you need to do is mix it well with, with browns. Otherwise, it will mash and turn wet and smelly. So add it in thin layers, mix it. Um, if you've got a big lawn, or a paddock, what you can do something called grass boarding, okay. not to be confused with water boarding, <laughs> and that is just alternate layers of grass and cardboard, and you can do that over quite a big area, and that would produce a nice compost for the next season. Okay, that's that sounds a, re- a good good old plan. And uh, are there any other ways of accelerating the, the composting process? You know, covering the heap, adding worms. Well, we've sort of covered that. Adding a compost activator, uh, P urine. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, you mentioned urine. The first thing to say that if you've got a Dalek bin. It's okay for chaps to pee into it, but <laughs> ladies should be careful because it doesn't have foothold. <laughs> right, okay. And you brought it up, not me. Um, yeah, yep. the compost activators are brilliant. You, the ones you buy are good if you've got the mixture wrong. If the mixture's right, they won't add an awful lot. Okay. But then if the mixture's right, you probably won't buy them. Um, but if it works for you, the other ones, 
that um, the natural free ones, country nettles, manure, yeah, that they're fine. They introduce nitrogen. They speed it up. They're good. Um, as I said, the the shop ones have mixed reviews, but I've never heard of them doing any harm. So it's belt and braces, really. For sure, yeah. No, um, I'm a great believer in using comfrey. So I can drain off my, my, my to create my comfrey tea. I could use that in a watering can and apply that instead of perhaps watering my compost heat. Would that work well, there, Rod? Yes, yep, comfrey, comfrey tea. Um, the fashionable one this year is banana tea. Oh, okay. Mm, yeah, it's full of phosphates, isn't it? I've heard about that. Yeah. Okay. And you can just use that comfrey tea. Um, it it smells quite pleasant. Yeah. Certainly compared with comfrey, it smells quite pleasant. <laughs> definitely, yeah, comfrey's a bit of an acquired fragrance, to say the least. And what about fallen leaves? Obviously, in the autumn when we get uh, that build-up of of uh, deciduous trees shedding what's uh, what's your advice yeah. on those this is another one where there's conflicting advice most of the stuff in the uk advises treating leaves separately in a probably a plastic bag with holes in mm-hmm. leave it wet behind a shed for two years and you get leaf mold yeah um the americans are very hot on using leaves rather than cardboard and i think it might be because a lot of american composters have got bigger properties and have a lot of leaves and perhaps not so much cardboard i don't know and they were saved to drive the dried leaves to add as browns during the winter okay and they are good at absorbing it if water if it gets too wet as well so presumably it's a but you just follow the philosophy of mix it all up and put a bit of everything in and it, you'll, you'll turn up some good compost. You don't want to just put all of the leaves in in a big pile or all of your leaf cuttings yep. all in a big pile. Mix it all up wherever possible. Yep. Brilliant. Yeah, if you pile the leaves all in a big pile, eventually you end up with leaf mould in the middle. Um, if you're making compost, as you say, mix it. Oh yeah, the other, the other thing, uh, Rod, was other additives. So, could you use your your wood ash as a because uh, it's a high amount of phosphates? Would that be a useful uh, additive? And, and things like coffee grounds. Uh, you mentioned manures yep. as well, and even yep. adding some... coffee. Yeah, coffee grounds are very commonly used. They are good. They're good at keeping it going during the winter as well. Okay. Um, I don't know whether. The coffee effect on the bugs is the same as it is on us. And a lot of coffee shops will keep the coffee grounds away. So that's that was good. Wood ash is fine. And not not coal ash, but wood ash in moderation. Okay. Uh, like in everything else. Don't go silly. Wood ash is fine. Yeah, I know I know in my uh, my wood burner I put a I have a, a large uh, sort of plastic um, carry a bag, um, one of these recycle bags, and I just go along every every couple of weeks and just put a, a handful on as a, a bit of an activator. And it seems to it seems to work. It seems to disappear and and so yeah. on. But the other thing was uh, Rod actually putting a little bit of, of of your own garden soil. That's something I've heard. Is that is that true? Does that help the process? Yes, and in fact, um, back in the sort of fifties sixties it was almost an essential to have a layers of garden soil when you were layering your compost bin. Oh, okay. Mm. It's presumably it adds um, all the bacteria that's naturally in the soil and just helps propagate more bacteria in your compost heap. Yes. It, 
I think that was what exactly why I was doing it to give it a boost and um, pre-inoculate. And I think if you put a bit of soil as a top layer, it also helps absorb some of the gases. Mm, okay. Yeah. Good, good point. Yeah. And yeah, I'm not sure about the gas one. There's certainly been reports of it, but I, I haven't seen any personally. I haven't seen any peer-reviewed documents, but it it does seem to make sense. And just thinking, so when we have compost in bags that we buy from the garden centres, they always say try and use it within the year and don't sort of just let it sit there for years as it slowly degrades. Now that's obviously partly to do with the fact that fertilisers start leaching out and breaking down and things like that. But the natural compost that we make at home, do we have a sort of use-by date on that or can we just leave it sat in the compost bin ad infinitum if we don't need it? Well, people do tend to leave it um, probably for a year at least to mature, which isn't doing any harm whatsoever. So it will keep for several years, I believe. It, it may go up a little bit, but if you use it as mulch, then the organic material will still be there. Okay. Okay. Um, so, Rod, uh, do you have any sort of composting hints and tips for us um bearing in mind that uh, this is such a big subject is there anything you could you could possibly give us a a few guidance on yeah well one uh, which is becoming fashionable at the or news at the moment is um the risk of lung infection from fungal spores from aspergillus which is a common fungus found everywhere and there have been cases of um, composters catching it. Right. Um, we we all breathe the spores in. But so the advice is, if you are making compost and it smells mouldy, wet it well before turning it or handing it. Okay. Um, and if bagged compost, whether it's commercial or your home brew, don't keep it in a warm greenhouse during the summer because right. the fungus might grow there. Right. And okay. the, the final one, no, no, it's been serious. The, the final one is if you've got an impaired immune system, wear a face mask when you're handing it. Right. Because it can be quite serious. Yeah. Good, some good tips there. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, thank you for those, Rod. And, uh, I mean, certainly I know from a personal point of view, uh, you talk about sort of grass cuttings going into mouldy, not mouldy, it's a wet, sludgy mess. Mm. Um doesn't smell nice does it whereas a good compost you can actually i always think smell it and it does smell like really nice earthy healthy earth rich yes. would you agree with that yes and that is a test as well as whether your compost process is finished if okay. when you think it's finished particularly if you're turning vast quantities take a, few, a couple of handfuls put it in a policy seal it in a polythene bag for three days and then smell it. Okay. And if it smells pleasant, the nice earthy smell that you were talking about, then the compost process is finished. Yeah, good That's tip. Good. Yeah. That's great. That's yeah. a really okay. helpful hint. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, actually, if we're, if we're on tips, and one I hadn't thought of until now, is if you're using horse manure, mm-hmm. which yep. might have herbicide in it, Okay. when you've made your compost... Get somehow put it in a pot and plant radish seeds in it. Okay. And use some commercial compost as a control. If the radish seeds mature, 
then it's okay. You can use the rest of the compost. Right. If they don't mature, then don't use that compost. It may well have herbicide in. And the commercial product, of course, is a good control. We'd expect the commercial product to outperform the homemade one because of the goodies that's been added to it. Of course. Excellent. Yeah, good, good, good tip. Compostable packaging is becoming more and more popular these days, especially with the supermarkets and uh, shops now providing so much, so many items in much more recyclable stuff. So, w- with this matter, I'm mean, just thinking uh, here we've got my B magazine turned up in a mm-hmm. traditional envelope, whereas last year it was put into plastic packaging. Our GTN magazine comes in in a opaque sort of. I think it's potato starch wrapper. Is that yep. is that sort of stuff okay to chuck in a compost bin? First thing is how it um, what they've described it as. If it's biodegradable, it just breaks down over five thousand. We're all biodegradable. It won't come quickly in the compost bin. If it's labelled compostable, mm-hmm. that applies to industrial composting. Okay. So that's when the cat. When the council take it away, except they probably won't take compostable bags because it's not in the, they will have contracted out the composting and it's not in the contract to deal with it. Right. So it is a problem. If it says home compostable, then you should be able to do it at home. Okay. But tear it up and it might take ages. I've just done an experiment with three bags and after I started in September, and two of the three still haven't shown much progress. Okay. But the corn starch and potato starch is a big improvement, and particularly in hot composting, it will break down. Okay, well, that's useful to know. And and just thinking, you talk about home composting versus sort of industrial composting. Is there a universal symbol yet for home compostable? Or because normally you've got like the triangle with the three arrows going around that indicates it's recyclable. Is there any, is there a symbol for that? Yes, there is a symbol. It will carry the word, um, and I can't remember what the graphic is, but it will carry the words home compostable. Okay, brilliant. Um, and it's not, it's not universally accepted as yet. Right. Okay. It's, Euro, it's European, the Americans, I don't think have got one. Okay. But don't hold me to that. <laughs> and as we're not part of Europe now, I don't know if it, it would apply to us anymore, would it? Do we need a new British one? <laughs> yeah, yes, I don't think we go there. Um. <laughs> Rod, um, looking at the you know the wider picture of compost at the moment, and my goodness, it's a bit of a minefield, isn't it? I'm thinking here of sort of bag products uh, and the movement away of the use of peat. What do you feel the best approach the home gardener can consider on the options of specified bag compost options do you feel that peat still has a use and benefit in in the garden i feel that we should be moving away from it Mm -hmm. for the environmental um, conditions Mm -hmm. it certainly it is a nice compost yep but we've got to move you know we're really digging into our peat resources from climate warming it's not good so it's got to go and i was looking back because we were doing this. And when I started talking about these things, one of my first talks was on alternatives to compost mm-hmm. or compost and the environment. And that was about 2009. And the government had given us a date to which you would yeah. 
stop using peat-based baked compost for hobby compost for home domestic use. Mm-hmm. And we've long passed that. So, And now the date, I think, is 2024 that they're talking about phasing it out. And I think we need to go along with that. It's The decision's been made. We've just got to get organised to do it. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the peat-free, early peat-free composts were not very nice, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Didn't work. And particularly, I think now the peat-free growing composts tend to be much better. The seed composts, I think they still need to work, people to work on them. But I, I can see in 10 years' time the peat-free compost being like wine. When you were at the garden centre, we'll have a whole wall of different peat-free composts that people can choose from. And one of my favourites at the moment is made from bracken and lamb's wool. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and particularly the seed compost is brilliant. It feels like handed silk, but it is very expensive. I, I think peat came into fate. Like, you know, there was a time pre-peat, wasn't there? If you're ever so old like me... Um, everybody was using John Innes variants. And then peat came in because it was nice to use. Water retention was quite good. It was light for the, to transport, relatively light. And, of course, for the extractors, it was readily available just to go out and dig up. Mm. I think we're going to have to get used to be paying more for commercial peat-free products. I think that you're correct there, Rod, don't you, here at the Garden Centre. We're, we've noticed that over the last few years there is the likes of Sinclair and Evergreen have slowly been filtering through more and more peat-free alternatives and obviously the New Horizon range has been peat-free for a while now and mm-hmm. um, it, it's mm-hmm. certainly, a, a, I mean, the, the, the one you you mentioned, the, the wool called Dalefoot Compost. Dalefoot, that's it, yeah. I mean, it's not cheap, but I'm really pleased to hear that you've got on well mm. with it because mm. certainly when you're trying to persuade customers that it isn't peat-based, but it is more expensive, they're like, mm, I'll go with the cheap stuff. But I think as we, yep. as we move forwards in life, hopefully we can accommodate that cost and the more of it we sell and make, the cheaper it gets, isn't it? And I think that the big big downside yeah. of of course peat of peat free compost is the the water retaining qualities or the lack of them. That's the the problem. I think it's the management, isn't it, Rod, of of these composts and how our, how the gardeners are going to to work with them. They're going to have to use a whole lot of different uh, sort of horticultural procedures and practices to get used to these new uh, new mediums. But uh, very encouraging on on that on that front. Yeah, I, I think that we've got to accept, we, we've got no choice, we've got to accept it. I'm sure the trade will have, will come up with really good alternatives, like it's early days yet. And But in the meantime, gardeners are going to whinge. I, I know I do when I when you find just how much more expensive it is. Yep. But you can't blame the people who, who are selling it. Excellent. And so why why would you say, Rod, that homemade compost is better than peat-based compost other than the fact that if you're making it yourself, it's a bit cheaper? 
a lot cheaper. Um, from the environmental point of view, uh, it's stopping waste going to landfill. Yeah, yeah. Which used used to produce methane, although they are harvesting some of that now. Um, it's saving the road bars of councils coming around and collecting it. Yeah. And of course, councils know if they collect waste, green waste, most of them are charging for it. Yeah. Which yeah. rather upsets the customer who's used to having it for free. Vested interest here, our council is one of the few in the one in Leicester Shear who still collect one bin of green waste free. Well, you're oh. lucky. We know Northamptonshire, just south of you, we're forty pounds a year, and there's a big debate going on at the moment about whether South Northamptonshire should have to pay because, like, they're free at the moment, and now they've unified the council. Yep. The whole of Northamptonshire is trying to charge forty pounds a bin, but yeah, I don't know what the going rate is. If but Northampton is overcharging <laughs> or undercharging, yeah. I think it's about the going rate. Yeah. But Buckinghamshire is between yeah thirty to thirty-five, isn't it? So yeah, it does does vary. There's variations. In the cost. Yeah, £40 doesn't seem unusual. Excellent. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I suppose it does cost them money to get rid of it, but then why do we pay council tax? But like, you know, that is really a whole other wormhole to go down, isn't Most it? Definitely. And as I was going to say, Rod, on curbside collections of garden waste, yeah, they're costing, you know, £30, £40 round. But what actually happens? Do, do we know what sort of process that that um, material goes through to become material which is then obviously sold back to us uh, as gardeners. Do we do we know any of the, the intricacies there of, of the process? Uh, the most popular one is wind, windrow composting. Mm-hmm. So it would go off to a, a, a large field and be spread out in a vast windrow mm-hmm. and then every so often turned down the field to make another one and another one and another one. And that, that will kill off everything because it's really hot it tends to be a bit of a problem with leachate unless they got it in quite the right place and people perhaps may not be too keen on having it installed at the bottom of their garden the system is straightforward and at home you can do a similar people do do small windrows as well but it produces the, the problem is that what you get out is what they get in. And although most manufacturers, if you like, will have someone trying to sift through the material in the mm. green bin, we tend as a population to chuck lots of odd things in there mm. yes. that won't compost. And that's what gets it a bad name if they find their way through to the finished product. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of um, yeah, gl- bits of glazing, bits of glass, Terracotta bits of pot, pots, pot, yeah, so, yeah bits of pallet, nice yeah. concrete slab or two. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit of a menagerie, yeah. isn't it? Yes. But no, what what about herbicides and pesticides? Do they tend to have broken down by the time they came they come back to us as um, John in his number two or? Yes, they they most most of them break down. Um, I think as far as the household stuff, although they do, the councils do sell bagged compost to the public, most of it goes for commercial use, landscape gardeners and things like that. Okay. So we're not likely to have any issues with it in that sense. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's... I, I, yeah, I think in commercial compost, they, w- they will have tested, well, they will have tested it to make sure there's nothing there because it's not really good for your reputation if, you sell compost, market compost that kills everything. 
No. So I've, I've got great faith in people looking <laughs> after it that, at that end. <laughs> okay. But, well, I think that the, 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 the story then lies in that produce your own compost and you know exactly what you've put into it, I suppose, isn't it? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Rod, we, we always yeah. like to ask our Dig It podcast guests to name something they would take to a, a virtual desert island in connection with their garden passion. Rod, what would be yours? A, a machete and a spade, I think. <laughs> or actually... Some really useful tools. Well, I, I think that comes from, how could it would be really difficult without something to cut the stuff up and <laughs> something to turn it with. Yeah. So. No, good, good, two very good choices of, 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 of tools there. Uh, very uh, important <laughs> in the process, especially to, to survive on a, on a desert island. And finally, uh, Rod, um, do you have a, a compost-related joke or uh, an amusing saying you'd like to share with us today? What you mean? Has I been talking rot? Now I've got to come up with something. <laughs> I think the, the the one that we I quite like is um, remember to most to normal people composting is degrading. Yes, yeah, I like that. Not, yeah. not funny, <laughs> but meant to be wicked. Yeah, no, good, good use of yeah, very good. It's very very canny. Yeah, excellent. Thanks, Rod. Brilliant. So, well, thank you uh, yeah. so much for all your comments and the input there, Rod. Really That's been really helpful. Fascinating. And, yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. Thank I've you. I've enjoyed it. Rod, how do our listeners find out more about composting? Uh, this is the chance for a plug for, for Carry On Composting. Definitely. Um, we've yeah. got lots of details on the web www.carryoncomposting. Dot com. And that is now quite a big website. That's, that's great. Okay. And is there anything else you'd like to... Uh, you mentioned about your, your, your demonstration um, area. Could we give that a little mention yeah, too? We, yeah. And, and as you are fairly local, we have a demonstration site uh, at Stokes Wood Allotment and Stokes Drive, Leicester. The address is on the website and we've got between 20 and 30 different bins and techniques demonstrated there and it gives a chance for people to see compost bins being used and to find out how to use them have some practical experience and they do have a cafe where you can get a cooked breakfast on some mornings brilliant sounds good yeah sounds good rod thank you very much it's been really enlightening and I'm, i've certainly learned a lot today about composting Okay, thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Rod. Thank you. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.